Welcome to the Plymouth Meeting Church Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope the following message touches your hearts and minds. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Welcome again to our worship gathering. Uh, This message today, I was kicking it around for a good while this this week uh, this one was was chunky it was it was chonkers um, just a heavy burden uh, in this in this message and uh, but something cool happened today this morning I was just uh, you know trying to prep and pray and then God just spoke to me God God put a thought in my head and he was just like it's gonna be what it's gonna be the pressure's off like just like, like God reminded me, like, hey, this is this is your, sh- uh, this is His show, this isn't my show, you know. Uh, so that was just that was gospel to my, to my ears. Uh, that that was good news that I that I needed to hear. Uh, that you know, I'm I'm free. Uh, the message is is going to be what it's going to be. Uh, so so let's do it today. Let's get right into it. Uh, we are continuing. Uh, taking a look at the early church. Today's message is kind of like a spiritual sequel to last week's. Um, not not directly a you know a, a sequel, but it's related. Last week we we took a look at this church, the the early church, and a portrait of this sacrificial community that the early church just just had. Uh, that the ancient church they they lived together there in Jerusalem. You know, Acts chapter two, three, four. That's where we're at. But here's the thing. Jesus didn't give the church an operations manual on how to do church structure. Okay. What we get to do is take a look at their values. How did they do church? How did they express themselves as as church. And what we saw last week, they, they learned, they were devoted to, to learning about Jesus from the apostles. They, they did life together. They ate together. They prayed. They took care of one another. They moved about with simplicity of heart. So today we're going to continue to take a look at the ancient church. And we're going to start in Acts chapter 4 today. But here's the thing, in the middle of this gorgeous description of the early church, spliced into the story, it's this, 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 uh, this story of Ananias and Sapphira. This married couple who looked like they were all in, but they lied about it. They were confronted, and ultimately they, they dropped down dead. Okay, and, and, and so it's like, what do we do with this, this alarming, puzzling story? Now, I believe God gave me the hint this week not to focus so much on the Ananias and Sapphira story per se. It's shocking. It's alarming. It's sad. But I think God told me this week, hey, keep your eyes on the broader context. Look at the early church. Look at this Holy Spirit community that we see in Acts chapter 4. Acts is filled with a bunch of unique stories. And just as like, um, you know, like, like Paul would, would point back to, to the Old Testament days and say, hey, like these stories of Israel in the wilderness, they were given to us as, as lessons and, and warnings. We, we can learn from the stories of our, our ancestors. Likewise, I think we can, we can read this, this story in Acts chapter 5 of Ananias and Sapphira, and we, we can learn from it. 
But we're going to keep our eyes on the early church, the Holy Spirit. We'll simply let the story be the story. As in, let's try not to get caught up on the fact that they dropped down dead. Today is about learning more and more about the values of this young Holy Spirit-filled community that is absolutely just buzzing in the book of Acts. So this is what we're going to do today. Uh, we have some teaching to do. Okay, I'm going to give some, some background information. We're going to start with God's presence on earth. But again, we're keeping our eyes on the early church. We're really trying to grasp their values, and part of which includes raising awareness that God is in our midst. Raising the awareness of Holy Spirit conviction. Now today is descriptive, not prescriptive, meaning you're invited to listen today. And actually just the direct application today is to listen in, listen to the story, start piecing together a vision of what Holy Spirit-filled community looks like, what it could look like in our context today. So let's, uh, let's ask Jesus for some help, uh, then we'll, we'll continue on. Hey, Jesus, good morning. Good shepherd. We ask that you would shepherd us today. Give us the eyes to see where you're leading us. Give us the strength to, to hold fast. We ask that you would restore our soul today. We ask that you would use this parking lot as the place where we hear you. Thank you, Jesus. We know that goodness and mercy follow us, and you are with us. You are in our midst. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so to start, let's go all the way back to the garden. We're back in the garden in Eden. Humanity lived in the presence of God. Sin enters the world, and in Genesis 3, there's a disconnect between humanity and God. Fast forward, we have this tent called the tabernacle. And it was the overlap of heaven and earth. This is where God dwelled with his people. It's really cool. The, ta the tabernacle was then replaced by the temple. And again, the two spheres, God's space, human space, that's where it met. And in the temple, there, there was a curtain. Because there's, there's a place in the temple, the Holy of Holies, where, where God's presence dwelled. Hence, the curtain. The curtain was needed. Now, one author uh, gives the illustration, calls the temple, you know, think of the temple as like the fireplace. This is the fireplace of the planet. It's, it's providing warmth and light to the world. In the ancient Israel, uh, Israeli uh, religion, you know, the temple, this is the center of their worship life. This is the center of the map, the temple. We get to the New Testament, and then we see Jesus. God's presence on earth now looks incredible because God is here in the flesh. The king has come, and, and, and Jesus is here, and he is inaugurating his kingdom. And in Jesus Christ himself, Jesus brought the life of heaven and earth together. And then when Jesus died on the cross, he opened up a path to God's presence to all who come in Christ in faith. 
couple, couple uh, move along a little bit quicker here. We get to Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. So Jesus ascends, and then a little bit later, we have Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. This is when God sends the Holy Spirit. And you can think of it, you know, going back to that fireplace metaphor analogy here. The fire is now out of the fireplace. N.T. Wright makes this comment. He, he says Pentecost is kind of like the democratization of the temple. The fire is out of the fireplace. Acts chapter 2, it looks like tongues of fire resting on people. People are filled with the Spirit. Another scholar named Anthony Ladon, he reminds us that the Holy Spirit-filled community is the mediator of the Lord's presence. And now those who are filled with the Holy Spirit, those who have faith in Jesus, we, the people, we are the house of Jesus. And the New Testament continues to teach about this. Jesus is in charge of the house. And this household is made of living stones. And we're being built up into a spiritual house. And again, connecting this back to that temple mentality, the New Testament teaches that we are the holy priesthood. And we offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the prophets, Jesus Christ himself, is the cornerstone. We are the spiritual house, the Holy Spirit-filled community, mediator of the Lord's presence. Getting to Acts chapter 4, verse 31, it tells the story of how uh, one time when the ancient church prayed, they were praying and then the whole gathering place was shaking and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God boldly. Now, there's a, a Greek concept here, this idea of speaking boldly, okay, in, in Greek culture. This freedom of, of, of speech, this free speaking, it's reserved for those who have this special high class, you know, people of, of high moral and social qualifications. If you come from a good family background, you have honor, that sort of thing. Only certain people get to speak their mind. Holy Spirit is now flooding the early church, giving the people a fluency and boldness and confidence. And then in, in Acts 4, verse 32, we see that the church is one in heart and mind. No one claimed uh, possessions as their own. They gave stuff away. They shared everything. And the apostles, they continue to preach and testify about Jesus, the crucified Messiah, He's resurrected, and God's grace was powerfully at work in them all. There's not one needy person amongst them. Acts is very descriptive here. And it's giving us a, an imagination of, of the expression of church. The early church, the spiritual co-op, the, the value of sacrificial community, the generosity here, the, the hardcore fellowship, the, the sold-out commitment to one another, the well-being for the, for the whole group. Filled with the Holy Spirit, they did life together. And they created a culture where, where everyone was, was taken care of. And that means they were doing radical things like selling houses 
and property. Giving the offering away. Laying it at the apostles' feet. Donating it to the church. So we see this Holy Spirit presence. The, the, the holiness, the oneness, the communal love. On display. An example is given. Barnabas. We later get to see him in Acts. He's one of Paul's co-workers. Barnabas. The son of encouragement. He owned a field. He sold the field. He gave it to the church. Now here's the thing folks. If Jesus really is. If Jesus really did set up a new covenant reality. A new kingdom covenant. All of these things are signposts. Of this brand new reality. It's actually happening. Kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. is actually happening. And it's amazing. And it's beautiful. And it's holy. And then we turn to Acts chapter 5. And we run into this alarming. Puzzling. Sad story. It's shocking. Ananias and Sapphira. They're a married couple in the church. And they sold some property. But they kept part of the profit for themselves. But here's the thing. They lied about the amount. They sold it for one price. They donated it to the church. But they lied about the amount. How much they donated. And two authors I was reading, they, they compare it to the average American Christian who, who perhaps fudges on their financial commitments to the church. So in context here, we see this amazing, beautiful, gorgeous church that's doing life together, worshiping and learning and eating together, and they're taking care of one another, and it's awesome. And then you have, like, Skimpy McGee over here who says they're all in, but they're not. They're lying about it. And so somehow, perhaps God gave Peter supernatural insight Somehow Peter was in the know, the Apostle Peter. He shows up, he knows what's going on, and he confronts Ananias. Ananias, how is it that Satan has filled your heart? Whoa, danger here. Like, yes, a reminder, our hearts are always under attack. You've lied to the Holy Spirit. And you have kept for yourself some of the money you have received for the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. Ananias heard these words and he fell dead. And this put the fear of God into everyone who heard this story. No kidding. I read this story and I was feeling icky about it. And then the, the younger men, they, they come, they, they wrap up the body, take it out. They bury Ananias. They, they bury the body. A few hours later, about three hours later, Sapphira shows up. She doesn't know a thing. Peter confronts Sapphira. Hey, tell me, is, is, this, is this the price? Is this the price? What, is this what you got for the property? Yep. That's the price. Because she was, she was in it with her, you know, in on it with her husband. Verse 9 in Acts chapter 5. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen. The feet of the men who just buried your husband. They're at the door and they're going to 
do the same to you. They're going to carry you out also. Now, can you imagine that's being the last thing you hear? Sapphira, she falls down dead at Peter's feet. Same young men. They just finish burying one body, then they go bury another. And great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Okay, so what do we do with this story? Well, let's, let's slow down. Let's go back to Jesus. Jesus bestowed his kingdom to the disciples. He bestowed it. His kingdom bestowed to his disciples, Luke twenty two twenty nine. He commissioned them. He sent them out, Matthew 28, right? Okay, and then the Holy Spirit is given to us. The Holy Spirit, also called the Advocate, the Counselor, the Helper. His Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus is given to us to embody, to convict, to nurture belief, to guide and shape the church to look like Jesus. The gift of the Holy Spirit has been given. No more temple is needed. God lives in you. Do you believe this? Now, Ananias and Sapphira, they had unbelief issues. That's what it is. They had unbelief issues. They were in opposition to the the community of Jesus. This this community that has oneness, the the, the Christ-shaped Love the, the sacrificial living and loving, the, 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 the spirit-filled community. Spirit-filled community. Peter says, Ananias, you've let Satan fill your heart. The issue isn't about the money, okay? The issue is not about the money, but it's about the trickster approach. He, he contrived, he conceived this affair in his heart. This is a heart issue. And in the Old Testament, in Malachi, God would rather have the people shut down the temple than make lousy offerings. God is holy. God is great. We sang that this morning. Great are you, Lord. God takes his worship seriously. God doesn't want false displays of piety. He doesn't want his name attached to emptiness. He doesn't want his name attached to that which is vain. And neither should we. We have many questions about Ananias and Sapphira. But again, let's stay focused on the church, on the spirit, what the spirit is doing. Specifically, specific to Pentecost and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So this community of Jesus, the, the, the ecclesia of, of Jesus, the people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, a people who are convicted of their sins, they're convicted that Jesus is their Savior, and they are committed to now living a new life. They are new creations. They are the reborn. They are living a life in the name of Jesus. They are good Newsers. And the early church, they are buzzing with the Spirit, and they had something really special going on. But in contrast, to use an illustration here, it's like Ananias and Sapphira, they planted bad seeds in their heart. And again, it wasn't about the money, but it's about their heart. These, these bad seeds were planted in their heart, and seeds can grow up into fruit. Left unchecked, 
unchecked, this fruit could have grown up to disturb the holiness and disrupt the communal love, disorder the whole communal oneness that they had going on. All right, the church shaped around Jesus, people who are saved, forgiven, and commissioned to go show and tell Jesus. We are called to plant seeds of the gospel. We're called to plant the gospel. The good news that Jesus didn't write off humanity, but he sent his son, God in the flesh, to bear the wrath against sin on the cross and then demonstrate that he really had power. He has power over sin. He proves that with the resurrection. And so that everyone who turns, everyone who makes that turn from their broken ways, they turn from saving themselves And they believe, they have faith, they trust, they rest in Jesus as the Savior. And the good news keeps on going because they are going to be reconciled with God forever. We are called to plant the gospel. And the good news is this turning back to God. It's not just for the afterlife, it's for all of life. And it has profound implications for our lives, our marriages, our work ethic, how we spend our money, how we treat others, and so on and so on. We are called to be good newsers, to plant the gospel, to seek out this bigger vision and this bigger story, this bigger purpose that God has for us. It's way bigger than ourselves. In contrast, Ananias and Sapphira, they were planting seeds that could grow up and be toxic. Fruit that, that, that could be that could develop isolation and fear and division, everything that is opposite of holiness, community, love, and togetherness. And their action speaks volumes. Yeah, we're actually not all in, but we're gonna say that we are. And we kind of want to take a shortcut here. We just want to look good. This is not the Jesus way in a word. This is Antichrist. Now, we all make mistakes. We all miss the mark. We all plant bad seeds. We all sin. We all lie. And the thing is, if everyone was struck down dead, who would be left? <laughs> mm. There's, there's uh, two authors, um, Hugh Halter and Matt, Matthew Smay. They, they really helped me frame my thinking this week. They note how they, that, that Jesus, you know, we, we have to talk about sin here. They note that, that, that Jesus isn't super shocked by our sins. Yet at the same time, Jesus and the Holy Spirit, absolutely, they're incredibly interested in our sin. Okay, sin is missing the mark. Sin are the things that we do that do not measure up to God's design. Thank you, Jesus, that our sins are atoned for. But, but sins, think of it as like the symptom, our sin behavior, symptoms, they stem from something deeper, and that's unbelief. And we have to go to John 16. Listen carefully. In John 16, Jesus is saying, when the Spirit comes, the Spirit is going to convict the world in regard to sin, 
righteousness and judgment. When the Spirit convicts people about sin, Jesus goes on to say, it's because they don't believe in me. When the Spirit convicts people about sin, it's because they don't believe in Jesus. It's a belief issue or an unbelief issue. And so, yes, God cares deeply about our sin. Of course he does. We have the cross. God cares deeply about our our sin, our behavior. But at the same time, God is concerned about the deep issue of unbelief. And the Holy Spirit, our advocate, our counselor, is given to us. The gift of the Holy Spirit is given to us to help us believe. And the more and more we believe, the more belief spreads throughout our DNA, the more we grow, our, 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 our behavior changes in all areas of life. John six twenty nine. Jesus said, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. The Holy Spirit helps us to believe, to believe that we are saved. To believe that we are forgiven. To believe that we are perfectly loved. To believe that it's not about what we do, but it is about what Jesus has done. To believe that there is a bigger story and there is a bigger purpose for us. To know Christ and make him known. To go out and make disciples of all nations. And here's the thing. I really don't like that Ananias and Sapphira died in this story. I don't like it, right? And I can always hear some pastors say, well, you don't have to like the Bible, you just have to preach it. You know, like, like I, don't, I don't like that they died. And I have more questions about that. And you know what? Yeah, you, you might as well. But the thing is, and this is where God has led me, isn't this what, isn't this, uh, like, like this is what conviction is about. Not physically dying, but we encounter Jesus. We are convicted. We repent. We believe the good news. The spirit life is a twirl. We, we are confronted. We, we are convicted. We repent, which means to turn. We, we repent and we believe the good news. Conviction, repentance, belief in the good news. Conviction, repentance, belief in the good news. We are called to be the believing generation. We are convicted by the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, move us. Shift us from unbelief to belief. Shift us in our belief in Jesus. And perhaps maybe it's, it's not so much, Holy Spirit, what are you doing in Ananias and Sapphira's life? What are you doing in this story? Perhaps it's not about that, but it's about us. Maybe we should be asking, Holy Spirit, what are you up to in my life? And perhaps the Ananias and Sapphira story, it's recorded so that we have an unmistakable, we have a clear-cut reality of how much we should value that God is in our midst. The Spirit of Jesus is residing in us. When we say we are the hands and feet of Christ, that is a statement of being. We are the body. And God is crafting us together. 
and we are recreated in the image of Jesus Christ to do good works. God has prepared these good works ahead of time. What that means is God has gone out ahead and that we should walk in these. Ephesians 2.10. God is in our midst. And where we go, God goes with us. And the good news is, God is already there, wherever there is. Now back to Acts chapter 5, jumping to verse 13. It says that no one else dared join the church, even though they were highly regarded by the people. All right? But then there's a switcheroo here, because then verse 14 is huge. Nevertheless... Even though they, I don't know what Luke was thinking here, but he just said, no one dared join the church, verse 14. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. You can see there's tension here. But people were attracted to the Jesus community. What made the early church attractive? Let's put their values on the table. As we've been seeing, deep fellowship, prayer, learning together, professing Christ together, a commitment to meeting needs, worshiping together. Of course, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. But the catch is, where the Spirit of Jesus is, conviction will follow. Conviction will come. And again, from John 16, the Spirit brings about conviction so that people believe. We believe in our good and beautiful Savior. We believe that when we are burdened by a message, we believe that He is great, He is good, He is beautiful, and the pressure's off. Go, Cam, preach your message. The pressure's off. It will be what it will be. That's gospel. The early church, living life together, worshiping together, praying together. This Jesus-shaped conversations, accountability, biblical, loving, confrontation, conviction. These biblical values, these are the gateway to transformation. So encountering the spirit of Jesus, it brings about conviction. Conviction about our sins. Perhaps our thought life, what we're up to when no one's looking. Conviction is a good thing, though. Conviction leads to life change. Encountering the Holy Spirit can also bring healing. Life change, healing, same thing. A little bit later in Acts chapter 5, you'll have to look down in your, in your Bibles there. But like people were being healed like, like people would, would come across Peter's shadow and they were being healed. Again, a very unique story. The Holy Spirit community. Where, commi- where conviction happens. Where healing happens. But we need to remember it's the Spirit's work to bring about conviction. The pressure's off. We don't do the saving. But we get to live our lives in renewed partnership with Jesus, the crucified Savior who lives amongst us. We get to go show and tell all about Jesus. And as we'll sing here in a couple moments, let us labor for the Master from dawn till setting sun. Let us talk 
of all his wondrous love and care. We have a job to do. We go out and we represent. We are good newsers. We show and tell all about Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is there bringing about conviction so that people believe, so that we believe. Before we worry about the world, how about in the church? We are the believing generation. That's who Jesus has called us to be. Let's pray.